Oh my gosh, you guys, that video. Can you believe it? It just inspires me to like grab a remote control and sit on my couch and watch an adventure movie or something under a blanket. Uh, my name's Mike, and I am one of the pastors at Overlake, and it's a, it's a joy to be with you, Arbor. Honestly, I, I just have to be so upfront that when Jake invites me to come, it's just an absolute joy to see so many friends and, and so you know, folks that I've journeyed with, but then also this beautiful new life, this kingdom expression that God has uh, going on here at Arbor. And, and so uh, in preparation for this, you know, I'm doing a message in this Tested series. I listened to last week's message that by, uh, Pastor Jake gave, and he talked about um, being tested at his bachelor party. I don't know if you remember this, but he talked about like, um, and I, I was listening to him, and I'm like, oh, hey, I, I remember that. I was there at the Whirly Ball, and oh, yeah, I was there, because remember he told that his, his uh, you know, his heathen friends uh, decided to like trick him, and uh, they wanted to like pretend that he was at this um, strip club, in, but it was at Overlake's Chapel. There were, there were no strippers there, but it was like... Uh, <laughs> It, it, you know, so he was blindfolded and there was all this, you know, loud music and everything. And, and I, it, but it's true because I like, I like was right next to Jake. He was like in this chair blindfolded and I was just right next to him because part of my heart, you know, Jake's on my staff. And so I'm like, if, if he starts getting into this, this is going to be bad, you know. And, and so I'm just there to grab him. But I just, I want to be really clear with you guys. He passed the test with flying colors. Like Jake was such a good example of a follower of Jesus. And Jake was so, you know, committed in that moment. I mean, he's head over heels uh, for his wife, Davey. Of course, he's not an idiot. And uh, so it's just, um, it's just one of those things where it was just so fun to, to see him pass the test. So I wanted to start with today a, a test that I, you know, that happened in my life. And so I, I don't know about you guys, but it, it, if you, when you're a young person, when you're like in college or you're, you're young, what an all-nighter is, you know what an all-nighter is, is when you stay up all night long, maybe for, you're cramming for a final, or maybe you're just hanging out with friends or something, but an all-nighter is just, you know, staying up all night. But you guys, I have to be honest, I'm 48 years old now, and so for me, the definition has changed. For me, an all-nighter is a night where I, I get in my bed at the beginning of the night and fall asleep and stay asleep all night long. <laughs> Till I wake up in the morning and I don't have to get up at all to use the restroom. Is anybody with me? Anybody with me in an all-nighter? Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you. So, so that's just where I am. And, and, and so this happened a, a couple of years ago. My son, Caleb, was in fifth grade and, and he comes to me sometime during the day and he asked me this random question. He's always asking me random questions. He asked me, uh, Dad, what do you think about pranks? Like, are, is that, are you into pranks? Is that something fun? And I was like, oh yeah, bud, that'd be, that'd be yeah, sure. Pranks are cool. So anyway, that night, I have, to, I have to get up in the middle of the night. It's not an all-nighter. So I get up, and, I, and my wife's asleep, so I don't turn on any lights. I just kind of make my way into the bathroom. I you know, feel, I sort of know where I am, and make sure the lid's up. And then immediately, though, I could tell something was, was wrong. I, just something was absolutely off. I, first, I, I could tell by the sound, and then secondly, by the, by the way my legs were getting splashed. I just knew something was wrong. And so I turn on the light, and of course, my, my fifth grader had saran-wrapped the <laughs> toilet bowl. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, daddy, not happy. So I clean up, go back to bed, and I get up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I get up, is I go, and I put my slippers on, and I go to jam my foot in my slipper, and there was 
cold, mushy banana. Now in between my toes and under my toenails and everything. So, okay. So, so I go in and I just, I wake Caleb up. It's early morning. I'm like, Caleb, oh, you're busted, man. You are just so busted. And he goes, kid you not. He goes, dad, your breath smells. You should go brush your teeth. And he rolls over. But, but I knew like it was too perfect of an answer. So I, I, I go into my bathroom and I pick up my toothbrush and sure enough, Tabasco sauce on my toothbrush. So I said to myself, this is a test. This is a test. I am now being tested. I'm being tested as a father. I'm being tested as a man. I'm being tested as, as someone who follows Jesus Christ. I'm being tested right now. And so I didn't say a word. I went to the store and I purchased some Oreo cookies and brought them home. And I scraped out the middle. And then I put Colgate toothpaste in the middle and sent him off with Caleb on his lunch. And he comes back that day. And he's like, oh, Dad, you got me, man. Oh, that was so gross. My friends were dying, right? And I went, I passed the test, right? So what I want to do is I want to talk about a test. And I, I do want you to know that a test, every test, is an opportunity for victory. Every test is an opportunity for us to see something beautiful happen in life, in faith, and for the glory of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you about a test that's found. If you have your Bibles, it's in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, all the verses will be on the screen as well. But, but let me give you just a bit of a backstory about where we're going to jump in. So Babylon had invaded into Israel and had actually sacked Jerusalem. So, so the Babylonian army, they came, they took over, and then they also took, they enslaved uh, uh, many young men and women and, and carried them back to Babylon, the city and the capital there. And um, you might know some of these names, but Daniel was taken back, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were all taken back, and they were actually quite impressive to their captors. So because of their intelligence, because of their education and their wisdom, and you know, they were strong and good looking, and, but they were also, they, they, were, they were people of integrity in their faith. That they were, they were true worshipers of the one true God. They, they did not compromise. And so because of all these things about them and their character, they were actually given positions of authority and power in the nation that they were serving as slaves. And so that's sort of where we find ourselves in this story, what you need to know is that even before the story begins in chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are fully persuaded of a few things. They are fully persuaded that God is real. They're fully persuaded that God loves them. And they're fully persuaded that God is with them. So even though their land has been sacked by the Babylonians, even though they're being taken as captives and exiles into Babylon and forced to, forced to serve a nation that is the oppressing nation, they never wavered in their faith foundation. They were fully convinced that God is real, God loves them, and God was with them. And it brings me to the first truth. Before we ever get into the test that we're going to get into, we have to decide to live fully persuaded for him. Before the test even comes, we've got to decide. We're going to live fully persuaded for God. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Cirque du Soleil. Anybody ever go to Cirque du Soleil? 
All right, not too many. Anybody ever hear of Cirque du Soleil? All right, there you go. It's, a, it's this amazing experience uh, where almost all of the acrobats, you know, they're contortionists, but they're, they're all doing these like death-defying feats. And, and it's just kind of this amazing, you know, your mind is kind of blown by what it is that humans can do in, in sort of this gymnastic or acrobatic kind of a way. And what I just want you to understand is that when you are sitting there and the the lights go dark and showtime begins, you need to understand that they have done those things thousands and thousands of times before the show starts. Are you with me? The the reason why they can live fully persuaded as they let go of one trapeze and and trust themselves to the arms of their their partner on the other trapeze is because they have done it again and again and again, and they practice living fully persuaded in the confidence in their teammates. Well, I want to tell you that that's the same thing in our faith, that we have a choice right now to live fully persuaded before the test ever comes. Before showtime begins, we get a chance to practice living fully persuaded now. So that's just all kind of by the way of backstory. The other thing you need to know is the king's name. The king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. Can you say that with me? Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of a hard charger. He lives full tilt. He's a hot mess. We'll, we'll see this in just a minute. But let's start with verse 1, Daniel chapter 3. And here goes. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all provincial officials. That's a hefty list. Daniel loves lists. We'll see him again. To come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so the story starts with this cool 90-foot gold statue, right? And I think we can all appreciate art. We all sort of can, can get like, oh, this could be a, a wonderful thing. But then there's a law that's also levied at the same time, which says you've got to worship this statue or you'll be incinerated. Now, I got to tell you, this story turned dark really quick, right? And, and it's so funny to me because to, to me, being burned in a fiery furnace doesn't even connect remotely to this gold statue. And, and so here's just a quick parenting tip. Uh, uh, the parenting tip is this. Whatever the offense is, the consequence should be related to it. So you're a good parent if like, if it's a cell phone violation, well, then it's a cell phone consequence that, that you give to your kids. Does that make sense? Um, but this had nothing to do with one another. This is just bad parenting, bad, bad kinging right here. It reminds me of a time when I was growing up, my brother and my dad and I were clearing off the dinner table and we were doing the dishes. I think I was like bringing the dishes over to the sink and my brother was rinsing them and putting them in the dishwasher. My dad was taking care of the leftovers and he kind of turned around from the fridge and he started walking and didn't realize that the dishwasher door was open. And so he banged his leg on the dishwasher and he's like, oh, oh," he said, that's it. The dog goes. 
And we were like, Dad, that's so weird. We, we don't have a dog, you know? I, I, so you always want to make those connections, you know, and this is good parenting. Here, here's what else I, it makes me think. It makes me think this, that the enemy of our souls always pushes in such a way as to get the culture to bend the knee, right? There's always this, this it's just a vague and it's a general conformity. It's a spirit of conformity. And that's why the apostle Paul says this, we can't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we let our, ourselves be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that there's this whole other way to live. So let's keep going. Verse eight, it says, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. That's a, a fancy way of saying tattletale, right? There's tattletales, even in the ancient world. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. So what has happened in the story is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced what was kind of like a, a pervasive pressure. It was like a societal pressure. It was, it was a pressure that the whole nation felt kind of in the same way. And they chose to stand for the Lord and, and to not bow down and worship the statue. But now they're being called out. So now all eyes are on them. Now the king in his wrath and rage is staring down at them and now the pressure is not pervasive. The pressure is personal, right? They are finding themselves in the midst of a test. You know, I don't know about you, but I tend to live my life in this way that I believe prevention is actually better than the cure. So as you live your life, or as I live my life, you know, I try to eat my greens and I try to make sure I'm getting good vitamins and I drink eight glasses of water every day, try to get in the gym every once in a while. And <laughs> you can't tell, I know. Uh, but but I, I, there's just like, you know, and I, and I try to, you know, like, like drive the speed limit, you know, mostly. And um, just like all these things, like uh, I pray and I trust the Lord and I pay my bills. And, and, and the thinking is that if you live right, the test won't come, right? There's this, there's this really weird little thought that sort of embeds itself that if we live well, if we live the way God's calling us to live, then, then the test won't come to us. But friends, I, I just wanna say that in a fallen world, like in this real world that we live in, despite our best efforts, you can have a heart attack and your mom can get cancer or your marriage can suffer and even fall apart or your children can rebel or you can lose your job and the list goes on and on. 
Or you might feel pressure to compromise at work or feel pressure to take uh, credit for work somebody else has done. Or you might feel pressure to be dishonest or at least uh, somewhat withholding about the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And there are all kinds of ways that the pressure can become personal and the test become real. And, And so when that happens, I want to encourage you to do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, to remain fully persuaded of what you know to be true, that God is real and that God does love you and that God is with you. And I want you to to take a look at this response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This might be one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Is that amazing? I mean, that is just so incredibly confident, fully persuaded. They said, God will save us or he won't. He has all of the power, but he might choose not to for reasons of his own. But either way, O king, we will not worship this statue. You see, friends, when the pressure gets personal and when the hits just keep on coming, it's time for you and I to rise up with the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, God can rescue me from cancer, but even if he doesn't, I won't bow down. God can restore my marriage, but even if he doesn't, I won't bow down. God can cause me to prosper, but even if he doesn't, I won't bow down. God can heal my child, but even if he doesn't, I won't bow down. God can rescue me from the Nebuchadnezzar in my life, but even if he doesn't, I won't bow. Brings me to the next truth in this passage, that in the middle of the test, we hold on to his promise. We hold on to the promise that God has made to his people, that Jesus has made to his followers. I'm talking about the promise that God makes when he says, I will be with you. We think about the promise where God says, I will hold you in my mighty right hand. We think about when Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. These are the promises that we can hold on to. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they held on to this promise and they calmly answered the king. They said, we're not even gonna defend ourselves against you, king. We are not gonna bow. Now, let me just tell you that the... The thing that an angry person does not want to hear is a calm answer that they did not expect, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar, it it kind of hits the fan here with him. So let's read on. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. This is the Babylonian Hulk right here. He's just going nuts. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. 
Maybe for you, things are heating up seven times hotter than you anticipated. Maybe for you right now, as as you look at the unemployment that you're facing, the custody battle that you find yourself in, that you look at the mental illness that is hitting your family, you're thinking, this is seven times hotter than I even dreamed about. Maybe for you, you took a stand for God, and then things got worse. Maybe for you, you're trying your best to lead forward well, but, but the attacks are now coming from all different angles. And, and I just want to say to you, look, you, you might have thought that God was going to save you from the fire. You prayed that God would save you from the fire, and now you're being thrown in. And friends, if you find yourselves here, let me just tell you, do not despair. Of course, we pray that God would remove us from the fire, that he would never allow us to to be thrown into the furnace. But I'm telling you, there are times when God wants to save us in the fire, when God wants to bring us through the fire. Look at this passage from Isaiah 43. To me, this is just so amazing. It says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Through the fire. You see, friends, there are times when our loving heavenly father chooses to bring us through the fire. And when you walk through the fire of cancer or sickness or financial difficulty, there's a promise here that you won't be burned. You know, Nebuchadnezzar made that fire so hot that even his strongest soldiers died from coming near it. Fire can be deadly. But if you live fully persuaded and if you live holding tight to his promises, there's a promise here that you will not be burned. And and I wanna tell you, this is what overcoming in our faith looks like. This is the overcoming faith that the apostle Paul had as the hits just kept coming against him again and again and again. This is the faith of, our, of, of the early followers of Jesus Christ, the, the ones who went into all the world. This is the faith of all of the martyrs who actually were singing hymns of praise as they were marched into the Colosseum, about to be torn apart by lions. That, that there are the shoulders that we stand upon as we take the faith into this generation now. And that's what I'm talking about, this idea of holding on and and not giving up and not despairing. You see, for you, the miracle might be through the fire, not protected from it, but saved in it and brought through it. Jesus, of course, is the one who tells us that in this world, we will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. Take heart because I have overcome the world, he says, and in me, you can overcome as well. And that's why we hold on, fully persuaded to our foundation. God is real and God loves us and God is with us. Brings us to this next truth that in the midst of the test, we experience his protection. So even in the midst of the test, even in the middle of the furnace, we can experience the protection of the Lord. Let's take a look at verse 24. 
It says, suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. In other words, ancient Babylon, they knew how to count. They could easily do, one, two, three. Yeah, we threw three in. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. The men are unbound. Can you say that word with me? Unbound. And the reason why this is important is because I want you to see that when you are in the middle of the furnace, the one thing that the Lord allows to be consumed by the fire are the ropes that are holding you hostage. The one thing that the Lord allows to be absolutely melted and destroyed, disintegrated and removed are the chains that are holding you down. You see, the enemy wants to keep you living small and contained. The enemy wants you to have your faith just wrapped up tightly in this nice little box and put on the Sunday shelf. And, 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 and there, are, there are these ropes that are keeping you living that life. And, and what God will do for you in the furnace is he will remove all of the things that are holding you back. You see, you might have thought that God put you in the furnace because you'd done something wrong because God was mad at you. And I'm trying to tell you that God is setting your heart free. That God is removing all fear and all anxiety. God's removing all of the things that keep us bound and locked and contained. And he is the one who's inviting us into a more wild and more radical and more free faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but there's this other being in the furnace with them. And you can do some work. You can kind of dig into commentaries. I have, I know Pastor Jake has. Here's the thing. I believe, as many scholars do, that this fourth figure in the furnace is the presence of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That Jesus himself shows up with them in the midst of the fire. And I want to say this for you and for me, that when we are in the middle of the furnace, the Lord walks with us there. Whatever the trouble is, whatever the trial may be, whatever the test, you will have a tangible sense of the presence of Jesus. He reveals himself in the fire. And so I wanna encourage you to look for him, to look for a deeper experience of his tangible presence with you, a richer dependence upon him, walking with you in the hard roads of your life. I would suggest to you this is the unexpected beauty of the test that we actually get to see the presence of Jesus with us. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. I imagine he said it quite humbly. He was a little bit concerned. Oh, if, if, you're, if you're done, like you can come out, like that's fine. And uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Now that is really a miracle because I can't grill a chicken breast without smelling like smoke. So. <laughs> but you look at that passage and you realize they came through the furnace unscathed. They came through the fire smelling like roses. 
And sometimes that's how God brings us through the test. We are unaffected. We are, we are unscathed. We, the, the, we, we don't have singes. We don't, don't smell of smoke. You know, they came out of that furnace and, and they were like, you know, that was fun. They're like, oh my God, that was like a warm, snuggly blanket, you know? That furnace was like a cup of hot cocoa. Like they, they, it was just, an, it was like just, it was so beautiful, the protection that they had from the Lord in the midst of the furnace. They came out unscathed. But I've been in ministry for 28 years. And while I can honestly say that there have been times when I've seen people come through the testing unscathed, it's actually a point of authenticity for me to say, I've also seen God bring people through the fire scathed. That I've also seen people come through the furnace and their clothes are singed and their hair does smell of smoke and they have to wipe the sweat and the tears from their faith, face. I, I, I hope you know that in Genesis, you know, when Israel wrestles with God, he forever after walks with a limp. And the reason why I say this is because if that's where you find yourself, you're, you're one of those who's come through the fire, but, but you feel like you're scathed. You feel like you smell of smoke. I just want you to understand that there's no shame in walking with a limp. There's no shame in it whatsoever. I think of my friends, Matt and Catherine, and the testing of their fire, their 14-year-old son died suddenly and unexpectedly because of a heart condition that was undiagnosed. And I think about... I think about my friends Aaron and Jennifer and two times in two years, Jennifer was able to bring a baby to full term but in utero passed away. And I wanna tell you, I, I see how incredibly consistent they are living fully persuaded of God's promises. I see how they've sought to bring him glory and honor. I, I see how God has brought them through the fire but I would never describe their new life as unscathed that they will forever walk with a limp, that there will always be a hole in their heart. And yet they are so consistent in their love and their faithfulness, glorifying their savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand that these kinds of activities, these are a way that we live as overcomers. The, holding on to these truths is how we live well in the test. Verse 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's kind of changed his tune. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn limb from limb and their houses be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's a hot mess, right? Like he, he's just, you know, a hard charger. Like the gas pedal's all the way to the floor all the time. And, and he really misses out on the God of love thing, right? Like he totally, totally misses that. But I do want you to see what he gets. And, and this is the next truth, is that when you finish your test victoriously, others will worship Jesus. That people are watching your life. And when you come through the fire victoriously, true, tested and true, others will worship Jesus because of the example that you've set. And I know, you know, this might not be what we're thinking in the moment, but I promise you that people are looking at your life and people are being inspired by the way you live out your faith. And, and of course, you know, I can't be at Arbor without talking about how I think my friends, Pastor Jake and Davey, are the clearest example of this. 
that they walked through the hottest furnace imaginable. The road that they walked was the darkest road that parents can possibly walk. And at the end of that road, they did. They, they had to say goodbye to their beloved daughter, Maggie. And yet through it all, their consistent hope and their constant goal was to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And do you know, we can't even guess how many hearts they encouraged in their faith. We won't even know, not until eternity will we know how many lives were radically transformed by watching the road that they walked and the consistency of their witness for Jesus Christ. Are you with me that as you come through the fire, God will use that as an opportunity for others to praise and worship Jesus Christ. And then there's one last exclamation point on this story. And it's in verse 30. It says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So he threw him in the furnace, then he promotes him, right? Like that's a good thing. And the truth is that after the test, God will promote you as well. And I wanna be clear about this, but, but this, the scripture seems to be an indicator of this and it actually is fairly consistent all the way through that when you've been tested and tried and yet you're true, God can use that to elevate you to the next level. He, he can use it to promote you. He can use it to upgrade your faith and your joy. The fire that we face, the furnace is the greatest challenge and test, but on the other side, you'll experience promotion. And here's what I wanna be clear about. The promotion that you'll experience is primarily spiritual. And here's why. Because the fires of testing always refine you. The fires of testing always burn away the things that are not essential. They always burn away the things that are extraneous and they help you get a, just a crystal clear lock on the work that Jesus is doing in you and what it means to follow him in this life. So the promotion that I'm talking about is primarily spiritual. There might be other promotions as well. There might be a promotion that has to do with, you know, somebody saw your integrity at work and so then there's that, you know, giving you more responsibility or, or maybe in, there's God's favor in relationships. So I've seen, you know, people see how you walk with integrity through a test and then suddenly that opens up other friendships or provides for reconciliation. There might be some promotion like that as well. But I'm telling you, it always starts with God refining us through the fire and promoting us spiritually. You know, there's a story that I wanna close with and it's, it's a story that you may have heard before about a man who as he's walking through the woods, he comes across a cocoon and he sees that there's this silk moth that's trying to emerge out of the cocoon. But as this, as this moth kind of struggles to get out, it stops for a while, it looks like it might be stuck. And so out of kindness, this man pulls out his pocket knife and just really gently, he opens up the opening in the cocoon so that the moth can easily escape. But what he didn't understand was this, that that moth has to struggle as it gets out of the cocoon. And it's in the struggle that all of the fluids and oils are stripped from its wings. That's what enables it to fly. So even though this man had kindness toward the moth and wanted to make it easier for it in this moment, little did he know he was condemning it to a life on the ground that was short and unfulfilled. And I wanna just tell you clearly that God has the power to make everything easy for you. 
God has the power to make everything easy for every single one of us. In fact, that's maybe what heaven will be a little bit like. But the reason why he doesn't, it's not because he doesn't have compassion for you. It's because he wants you to soar. He wants you to fly. He wants you to live the fullest, most radically abundant life in him, connected to your Lord and Savior, that is absolutely possible. And so, yeah, there'll be struggle for a while, but there's flight on the other side. You know, as I, as I go into prayer here, I just wanna say that I am aware that some of you might be where I am right now, that I actually feel like I'm not through a test. I feel like I'm right in the middle of the furnace. This is, I've been in ministry for 28 years. It's been a really hard year. This last month and a half been the hardest month of a really hard year. I feel like leadership-wise, communication-wise, just feels like the arrows are coming from all kind of directions. And I, I feel like I'm in the middle of the fire. And I know that some of you feel that way too. We prayed for Charlie earlier. I think of Michael and Amy. They're right in the middle of the fire right now. Thinking of my, my friend Mark and Leslie. They're one month in to a stage four cancer diagnosis. I know some of you are right in the midst of the fire right now. And so for you, I'm just gonna say, you gotta do what I'm doing right now. You gotta hold on to these truths prophetically. You gotta say, you know what? I'm gonna hold on to these things. I'm gonna make sure that I, I take the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and I apply them in my life right now, even as I go through this furnace. And I, and, and I just challenge you, live fully persuaded. God is real and God loves you and God is with you right now. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray.